Good evening. How's everybody doing tonight? Ready to be blessed? Good, can I ask you to please stand up for the word of God. Today I'm going to read to you from Psalm 139. It is a psalm by David and it happens to be one of my favorite psalms. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay a hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. David is an amazing character, truly extraordinary. And the Bible treats him as such, giving him so much of space. If you read the Bible, you'll find that Elijah, the great prophet, was given only 10 chapters. Abraham didn't do too much better, he got only 14. But David had a full 66 chapters written about him. There are over 600 references to David in the Old Testament and over 60 in the New. No one except Jesus has been given attention like David. What an extraordinary man. Warrior, statesman, poet. Lover, king. But even though all these traits made him extraordinary, what truly made him special was the heart that he had. A heart that God himself said was after his own. So what made David have a heart that God admired so much? Wouldn't you like to know? Because if we can have a heart like this, God would say of us too, he and she 
as the heart after mine. Ever since I returned to Christ 10 years ago, the one prayer that has been on my lips more than any other prayer is God give me a heart that you will like. And I think he's done a pretty good job. Don't you? So what is special about David's heart? Many things. One, he had a reflective heart. Two, he had a bold heart. Three, he had a wild heart. Four, he had a stubborn heart, a heart that refused to stop loving. Five, he had a contrite heart. And six, he had a generous heart. We're going to look at each of these in turn. And as I talk about this, I want you to examine your own heart and see how closely it compares to David's. Because your nearness to David's heart will tell you how close you are to the heart of God. First, do you have a reflective heart? David was blessed in the job that he had. It's not a job many of us would admire. I mean, can you imagine being a shepherd? Out there with the goats and the lambs, spending day after day and night after night, looking after them, protecting them, shielding them. What a boring life. But yet in this time of solitude, with David's greatest moments, because in those times of silence and quiet, he got to listen to the voice of God. He got to hear God talking to him in the quiet of the desert night. He got to hear the wondrous things that God kept saying to him over and over and over again. But we don't like solitude. We're afraid of it. We constantly like to be surrounded by noise, even in our prayer gatherings. Think about the last retreat that you went for. What kind of a retreat was it? Was it a quiet retreat? Where you spent your time in nature for six or seven or eight days doing nothing except being in the presence of God? Or did you go to a place where there was constant noise, constant music, constant talking? Now I've gone for retreats like that myself. Not just one or two, I've gone for many. Because they are needed. Retreats where you hear the word of God. Retreats where you praise God with all our hearts. But then you also need the other kind of retreats when you sit down in the presence of God and listen to him. When you sit down in the presence of God and love him and be loved by him, we need to do that as well. And it is here in the desert that David developed the other qualities of his heart like a bold heart. Imagine, he's there guarding his sheep in the night and suddenly a wolf comes. David doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have a sword. All he has is a stick in his hand. David can run. What would you do? Never mind. David could have run and nobody would have thought less of him. Nobody would have complained about him. Definitely not the sheep. He could have run, but I just imagine David going up, standing in front of that wolf and saying, these are my sheep. I have been appointed here as a guardian of these sheep. Nobody is going to take a single one away from me. Forget about taking one away from me. Nobody is going to even scratch one of them. I imagine the wolf came. I imagine David moving towards the wolf. I imagine the two of them having a long staring contest. And then the wolf turns and slinks off. And in that moment, 
David starts to get bolder, not in his strength because he understands that somebody was there standing beside him. The next time a lion came his way, with increased confidence, David went two more steps closer to the lion. This time the lion didn't back away. The lion charged and David killed it. Another time there was a bear and David slew that animal as well. And a few years later, he faced down a giant Goliath who threatened the entire nation of Israel. David had a bold heart. Not a boldness that came from a knowledge of his strength and his courage, but a knowledge that he stood beside a God who was awesomely powerful, awesomely mighty, and not a single enemy would be able to stand against him. Where do you discover this? Except in the desert. Except in caves. Sometimes you don't have a job and you lament and you mourn. Not understanding that God might be sending you to this time of silence and solitude and quiet. So that you can seek him out because he has great plans for you. Look at every single person in the Bible who turned out to be a hero. He all, they all spent time in the desert. They all spent time in the wilderness. And if they weren't thrown into the wilderness, they made a wilderness of their own. Moses went in the desert 40 days. Jesus went into the desert for 40 days. Seek time. Seek time out to spend with God. Also in the desert, you learn to have a wild heart. I love horses. How many of you like horses? There's something magnificent about that animal, don't you think? Especially a horse that is not bridled, a horse that is not saddled, a horse that just gallops into the wind, wild and free. Unfortunately, most of us are not wild, we're not free. We don't even know how to praise God with abandon. We're always thinking about what the person next to me is going to say or what the person next to me is going to think. I was watching here, this was marvelous praise and worship. Seriously, most of us, to be fair, did participate. If not with complete enthusiasm, at least we did participate. But there were several who did not at all. Now I want you to just imagine this, all right? Imagine that you're God sitting there, okay? And I got five people standing here in front of you. One of them is gloomy, one of them is grumpy, one of them is worried, one of them is angry. Forget about imagining it. Come here. I need you to be grumpy, all right? That kind of grumpy. Don't laugh. Stand. You'd be angry. You know? You'd be worried. You need to look worried. Worried, you know? What's going to happen? She's saying, please don't catch me. Please don't catch me. All right, we'll catch this handsome young man. Serves you right for sitting on the front row. Second time in a... You be sad. Sad. You're always sad. No, don't be always sad. <laughs> now, you're God, all right? You're God and you're looking at Mr. Worried. You're looking at Mr. Anxious. You're looking at Ms. Disturbed. And you're looking at Mr. What were you? Sad. sad. You're not going to be happy at all. You know, you're going to be sad, you're going to be depressed, you're going to be worried, you're going to be anxious looking at them. 
But suddenly in the middle of them, hello, comes Mr. Happy, Mr. Joyful. And he goes, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. You're worried. Be worried. <laughs> You're angry. You're unhappy and you're sad. Why would God be happy with somebody who looks like that? I mean, think about it for a minute. I surround myself with happy people. I have Regina here. Regina, come here. No, 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 no. <laughs> and Avina here was like a twin of Regina. All the time she's laughing and giggling and chirping. I'm with Janet here, who's a character of her own, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Olivia, where is she? Okay, she's hiding over there somewhere. These are happy people. And I'm with happy people, and I start to imbibe their happiness. I start to take joy in it. Thank you, you can sit down. Be happy always, all right? But David had a heart like that. One day he was returning to Jerusalem with the tabernacle. And he was there in front of the tabernacle, his clothes removed, dancing with wild abandon. He didn't care about who was next to him. He didn't care about what was going to be said about him. He didn't care about anything. All he cared about was bouncing about. You think I care just now? I wanted to sing and I sang. David wanted to sing and he sang. But you know you need to be reserved, you need to be quiet, you need to be boring. And I sometimes think of God and I feel sorry for him. Think about the last time you prayed to God. Was there anything happy about the prayer? Oh Lord, my life is a mess. Oh Lord, my husband doesn't love me. Oh Lord, my daughter is going to the disco. Oh Lord, my son is going to pot. All the time, continuously, I mean, come on. Mary comes to me and I go in my head, oh my goodness, there she comes again. <laughs> you should join me for prayers one morning. We're having a ball with God, trust me, even our prayers are funny. I get everybody laughing. And I can only imagine what God must be thinking, a lunatic, but I'm having fun with him. So I will listen to his prayer. Wouldn't you? But we need to be unfettered. We need to be wild. We need to go and give ourselves rain and not let ourselves be controlled. And we are controlled. What are we controlled by? By the people around us. What are they going to think? David's wife had a big problem with David dancing. Where's my wife? Okay. 
<laughs> now, she doesn't have a problem with dancing. In fact, I think she'd like me to dance more. David's wife had a big problem with him dancing. And after they went back home, you think she said, wow, good dancing. No, she scolded him. He said, what is the matter with you? You made a fool of yourself out there in front of everybody. And David said, I don't care. I will make a fool of myself for my God. Let him enjoy it because he has enjoyed my spirit. He has enjoyed my worship. He has enjoyed my praise. He has enjoyed my dancing. When the spirit of the Lord is within my heart, I will dance like David danced. When the spirit of the Lord is within my heart, I will dance like David danced. I will dance, I will dance, I will dance like David danced. Woo! I will dance, I will dance, I will dance like David danced. Now tell me the truth, okay? Tell me the truth. Didn't you feel like getting up and dancing with me? Good. When the spirit. <laughs> We're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'm going to get you tight people to loosen up a little bit, you know. Learn to enjoy worship. Learn to enjoy raising your hands and praising God. I mean, think about this again. Oh, Lord, please bless me. Lord, please bless me. David had a heart like that. But not only that, he had other kinds of hearts. And one of the most endearing things about David's heart was he had a heart filled with love that never gave up. How many of you have ever been in love in your life in the past? Raise your hands, please. He will come now. She knows me. Everybody else, stand up. I need to pray with you. I mean, you've never been in love, honestly. Let me look at you. <laughs> Sometimes with me, it's wise not to stand up. Because the next question might hurt you. How many of you still love these people? Forget about the people in the past. Imagine you love somebody now, okay? I know there are a lot of youngsters over here. I'm sure they love a lot of people around them and I'm sure they made grand promises. I will love you forever. Don't you say that? What are you giggling about? Okay. I will never leave you. You are my soulmate. Our destinies are tied together. And the sun might not rise tomorrow, but I will be there with you. <laughs> Two months later, you have a small fight. Six months later, you're not even talking to the person anymore. One year later, the person is forgotten. What kind of love is that? Really, what kind of love is that?
When you love somebody, you can't be fickle about your love. You love and you love forever. Look at David. There was a guy called Saul in his life. He met Saul and the moment they met, the two took a great liking to each other. Saul treated him like a, David treated Saul like a father. Saul treated David like a son. David really, really loved this man. But a little while later, Saul started to get jealous of David because everyone was praising David and tried to kill him, not once, but two times. David had to flee into the desert and two more times Saul came into David's hand. David could have killed him easily. He didn't raise a finger because he still loved Saul. He spent years in the desert, years in the wilderness, having to run away from this man who was after his life. He still loved Saul. And when Saul died, nobody wept like David did. Saul loved, uh, David loved Jonathan, who was Saul's son, heir to the throne, even though David was anointed, his competitor, his challenger. But he still loved Jonathan, and he continued to love him till the moment he died. This is what love is. To love people, to love people and not to give up on them, to love people constantly, no matter what they do to you. They can lock you up in a jail, they can throw you into the gutter, they can beat you up, they can torture you, they can torment you, but how do you let love stop? I don't understand. I don't understand. And David loved God like that. He said to God, God, I don't care. I know I'm a messed up guy. I know I will do things in my life that aren't good. But I love you, Lord, and I'm going to stay with you, Lord. I'm not going to leave you. Even you're going to have to drag me out of the house and throw me out, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. Which brings me to the fifth aspect of David's heart. A contrite heart. Now, David sinned. You know, all of us sin. Sometimes we think just because we didn't murder somebody, just because we didn't commit adultery, just because we didn't rape somebody, we're okay. But we're not. Because all of us, in the eyes of God, are sinners. All of us need his mercy, every single one of us. But I always wonder, how does David, how can a man like David, who loved God so much, who really knew his heart, and whom God himself had a heart after himself, how could David have done this? Adultery and then murder. The second book of Samuel Chapter 11 begins with these words. In the springtime, as though there was a time of the year, when kings went to war, David sent Joab ahead, but he stayed at home. And I think here is the clue of what happened to David. And the reason I'm talking about this is because it could happen to any of us. What happened to David? He got too confident. He got too complacent. He was the leader, and in normal circumstances, he would have led his army out into battle. But he's saying, I don't need to go anymore. I can send my soldiers. They're going to win the war. They're strong. They're powerful. They know what to do. They will go out, and they will do what they have to do. I don't need the responsibility anymore. I'm going to sit at home, and I'm going to take it easy. Big mistake. And this is the same mistake that we make. We get complex, and I'm speaking especially to those who have started to live lives of holiness. We start to get complacent. I'm speaking to leaders, especially leaders in this ministry. 
we get complacent. We begin to see achievements. We begin to see God doing so many things in our lives and the lives of those we know. We say, hey, I can take it easy now. You can never take it easy. But forget about the spiritual life. None of you can take it easy. David's greatest temptation after that was to play God. I am the master of what I survey. I can do whatever I want to do. He saw this woman bathing. He sent his servants, go find out who that woman is. They come back and they say to David, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of so-and-so, the wife of so-and-so. They were trying to tell David, she is somebody's daughter, she is somebody's wife. But David wasn't listening to God anymore. That should have been a warning. But he has suddenly become so self-centered, he's forgotten all about God and all the things that he heard God say in the desert. He slept with a woman. That would have been the end of the story, but the woman had a, got pregnant. Big problem. But David did what all of us do. We tried to cover up our sin until God finally sent another prophet to David and said, King, you have made a big mistake. Now, I always think about David at a moment like this. He's already committed murder to cover his sin. He has a man speaking for God in front of him. How difficult is it going to be to take your sword and chop his head off? This was a moment of truth for David. I can chop off his head and continue to act God. But I'm sure at that moment in time, as these thoughts went across his mind, I am sure they went across his mind. He thought about a shepherd boy in the desert, slaying a lion. He thought of a shepherd boy in the desert, killing a wolf. He thought of a shepherd boy in the desert, standing before an entire army and slaying his champion. He thought about that man and he said, Lord, I am sorry. And he turned back to God with a contrite heart. Turn back to God here tonight because another prophet stands before you and he's telling you, God is telling you to turn back and repent for your ways. It doesn't matter what you've done or God is merciful, but turn back and turn back now. Will you turn back? You sure? Which brings me to another characteristic of David's heart. He had a dramatic heart. You know, years back when I came to the faith, I knew God was calling me to special things. But I couldn't figure out why he was calling me. Why did he choose me? You know, I used to go for mass in the morning and I used to see people kneeling over there before I came and kneeling even after I was leaving. Some of them would have their arms stretched out like that for hours. Some of them would be kneeling and, and going to the front of the altar on their knees. And I said, God, why don't you choose one of those people? See, they pray to you so much. You know, I'm sure they even love you more than I do. And God said, I like your sense of drama. Remember what I said a little earlier about how boring we are? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? God looking at me now. Instead of a preacher who kind of just stands in one place and do you know the word of God says this. In 1 Corinthians 6.18 the word says flee from sexual immorality. You know, 
Have you heard preachers like that? Have you met people like that? David had a sense of drama. Boy, you read every single chapter written about David and you can see it as though you're watching it on a movie screen. Now you know most of the stories, but I'm going to tell you a story you probably don't know. You'll find this in 2 Samuel chapter 23. David is in the desert. He spent a lot of time in the desert. And the Philistine army has surrounded them. Now David was very thirsty. And when you're thirsty, what do you do? You complain. So David said, I wish I had a drink of water. There were three people gathered over there who heard him. And because they loved David so much, they said, we'll go and get him water. The only problem was, the only well that was there was in Philistine territory. But anyway, they were so determined to get the king water, they slipped through Philistine lines they went to water, filled a flask and brought it back to David at great risk to their lives. David took the flask. I'm sure he was thrilled. Here is water. He's going to drink. And he takes it to his lips. But then he suddenly sees soldiers standing around him, looking at him. And he stops. He could still drink the water. He's king after all. And he's thirsty. But he takes that canteen and pours it all to the ground and says, Woe to me if I drink even a drop of this water when my fellow soldiers are going thirsty as well. Is that dramatic or what? And this is what God wants. You like my drama, don't you? Yes or no? A dramatic heart. God loves that. And create drama in your life. It doesn't need to be ostentatious. It doesn't need to be in your face kind of drama. But in your head, always put yourself in the position of a hero. Because what we're in is a battle, is an adventure that needs heroes. And when we imagine ourselves as heroes, trust me, there is a greater motivation for you to do the things that God asks you to do. Imagine. You go to a country where nobody knows you and nobody wants to hear the word. You're there from some third world country. You're going to come and talk to all these people who are probably sophisticated, have a great education. What are you going to do? Imagine, imagine that God is standing next to you and imagine that he's going to give you power and he's going to give you words that will just dazzle them. And when you have that kind of hope with God, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to do just that. He's going to give you the words He's going to give you the power, and by the time you leave over there, they're going to be going, wow. Yes? Come on, let's. And then we come to a final characteristic of David's heart. I could speak on each one for hours, but a generous heart. How many of you have children here? Raise your hands. The first thing every father tries to teach his child is what? Say dada, say dada. <laughs> and every mother tries to teach the child what? Say mama, say mama. Anyway, never matter. Don't mind. Whatever word the son, the little baby learns, whether it's dada or mama, the second thing they learn is, you know what? No. 
Anyone who's a father here or mother here will attest to that, you know? You tell them, eat food? No. Go to your room? No. Do not touch this? No. Every single child. The next thing they learn after that is mine. You know? Can you give me your toy, please? No, mine. They, do, they, they go together, the no and the mine. Let this one play in your room? No, my room. My dada, my mama, my this, my that. You think they will change when they grow a little older. But no, some of them go to their graves still saying mine, 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 mine. You know I'm talking about you, right? But you're still laughing, which is good. My money, my wallet, my purse, my car, my house. Sometimes even with our wives, we'll say, no, my money. This is my car. Don't touch it. That is fine, except there's a big problem when it comes to God. Because we can't give God what is his either. God says, give me. No, mine. God says, I will look after it for you. No, mine. We cannot live like that. We need to let go and let God. And we cannot learn anything. Thank you. Mine? Mine. <laughs> we cannot let go and give God unless we let go and give people. Now David was a very generous person. And where did he learn this generosity from? He learned this generosity from God. Can you imagine if God were to say, no, mine. Lord, can I please have some extra money to pay for tuition? No, mine, my money, no. God, please can you give me a beautiful wife? No, no, no. God gives and he gives generously and he asks you to be generous too. And there's another story in the Bible I'm pretty sure you've not heard of that speaks about God's generosity. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, he speaks of this man called Arana. Did you know there's an Arana in the Bible? Rohan, did you know that? No? No. There is. Examine it when you go home. Janet, no D'Souza's. <laughs> Jamie, no DeMellos. No De Costas. No Fernandez's, no Pintos. But there's an Arana there. Lancy, go home and check it out. Anyway, David goes and picks up this guy called Arana and says, I need to make a sacrifice. I need your altar. So Arana is a very generous person. All Aranas are. So he said, <laughs> so <laughs> he, said to, he said to David, please, you can take my oxen, you can take my wood, you can take whatever you need for the sacrifice. David says, no, 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 no. I will pay for it. Arana says, no, 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 no. I will pay for it. Anyway, they have this fight. Have you ever seen this fight? I was in England two months ago and I went to Nando's one night to have a little bite over there. And as I was at the counter waiting to order something, I saw two people over there fighting with each other, really fighting. No, I'm going to pay the bill. And the other one saying, I'm paying the bill. And the waiter was so shocked because never in her life has she seen anything like this in England. In England, the thing is you pay your own bill. And if somebody else says, let me pay it, please, please, thank you very much. And here are the people fighting to pay the bill. She said, I've been here for two years. I've never seen anything like this. And I was standing over there thinking, way to go. And they were making quite a scene. You know, everybody around them was looking at them and hope learned a few lessons. But it was beautiful to see the generosity of spirit in people like this. Let me get it. We do it also sometimes, you know. Let me get it. But you know, our hand is not moving from that wallet. 
seen it, you know. You know, you go for a meal and you say, after, I'll, I'll get it. And, no, 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 let me get it. But the thing is not coming out of the other person's pocket. <laughs> and sometimes I'm holding on to mine, you know, waiting for that person to pull out their wallet first, but it doesn't work for some reason. You know? But be generous because God loves a generous giver. Because when you're generous of heart, you tell God that you know to give just as he gives. And God promises us one thing. In fact, Jesus does that in Luke chapter 6. He says, give and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, will be poured out into your lap. For the measure you use will be the measure used to you. Can you imagine that? That I am generous to somebody next to me and God is there waiting to show his generosity. And he cannot be undone in generosity. He's just going to give and he's going to give and he's going to give. And you know what happens? Everybody loves a cheerful giver too. When is the last time you found a happy miser? <laughs> Seriously. You know, miserly people are like, oh, like, no, mine, mine, mine. Have a heart like David. Have a reflective heart. Spend time with God, listening to him. Letting yourself be loved by him. Oh, he has so many wonderful things to teach us. We will never, ever discover them unless we spend time with him in solitude. The next time you go for a retreat, if you've gone to Porto already once or twice, great. Go to another place. Go make an Ignatian retreat. Spend eight days in nature, in solitude with God. Try it out. The next you go to Porto again if you want, but try this out. Have a bold heart. And how do you get to bold heart? By understanding that God is besides you in everything that you do. Don't be scared of the little lion that comes your way or the little wolf. All you have is a stick, but that is all you need because the battle belongs to the Lord. You learned that last week. Have a wild heart. Have a wild heart. Give it free reign. People sometimes tell me a holy person should be like this. You're very unlike any holy person I've ever met. I don't care. Why should I be what you want me to be? I will be what God wants me to be. And if holiness, my holiness does not match your concept of holiness, why should I care? And this is what we need to remember as well. If you want to grow your hair long, you want to look like a rock star instead of a preacher, so be it. But be wild, which means what? It does not mean be untamed, but it means be unbridled. Don't be shackled by what the world says you need to be. Don't be shackled by even what your spouse says you need to be or your children say you need to be or anybody around you say you need to be. Be yourself, especially in front of God. He knows you inside out. There is no need to pretend with him about anything and David never did. Even when David sinned, he said, Lord, here I am. This is me. This is me. What can I do? You help me now. And God helped him as he will help you. The third thing is a dramatic heart. Be dramatic in your heart. Let there be a spirit of adventure within you because this is an adventure, the Christian journey that we live in. It can be boring, it can be dreary, it can be drudgery if that's what you make it. Or it can be fun. For me, this I'm telling you, I will not trade this for anything in the world, walking this narrow path. It is so full of fun, I cannot tell you. The fifth thing, and this is something to remember, always have a contrite heart. When God says you made a mistake, don't argue with him. Don't justify. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Turn to him and let him fix everything. And finally, have a generous heart, just like God's, because there's nobody in this world more generous than him. Maybe.